Are you concerned about hitting your revenue targets this month, quarter, or year? Your answer is Value Prime Solutions, a sales training and marketing optimization company leveraging the value selling framework. Visit www.valueprimesolutions.com and start accelerating your results. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we have with us Kevin Dorsey, Vice President of Sales Development and Enablement for Snack Nation. Now, for those out there that are unaware of what Snack Nation is, uh, as a person who has been lucky enough to work in an office where we had Snack Nation provided, uh, it is a rapidly growing company focused on delivering healthy snacks that enable and create awesome office environments. I can speak to this firsthand. Every time that box would show up, it became a community event, uh, which in and of itself would be a reason to have Kevin on the show. But if anybody's you know paying attention to social media, LinkedIn, things of that nature, you'll also know that Kevin is an extremely well-respected sales leader, and he's done some amazing things at Snack Nation. So we wanted to have him on the show, and I want to welcome you, Kevin, and thank you for your time. Absolutely, Chad. Happy to be on here with you. I appreciate the kind words on Snack Nation. We definitely do our best. Uh, the customer service is second to none in my experience. And having a, um, let's say, a, a wife uh, who was the office admin, uh, office exec uh, assistant is very, let's say, particular. <laughs> Hearing yeah. her rave about it and experiencing it firsthand has just been uh, great for us. So typically at the front of the show, we like to do um, kind of a, it's an odd question, but we, we want to get as much value as possible for our listeners. And we ask our guests, if you look back over your career, was there a defining moment or something that happened, maybe changed the trajectory of your career that you took some lessons away from? Uh, if you kind of share what that was and what those lessons are, uh, we'd love to hear it. Absolutely. And it, I mean, that's actually an one for me. So it would have been, geez, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, one of my very early, and I'll even actually say my first mentor, David Bavaro, handed me a book called Think and Grow Rich. And he said, if you are serious about being successful, read this book and then we can talk. And so I read read the book in like two days. And that was the, the first time I can say in my life that I finally understood that I was actually in control of my own destiny and success, that success didn't happen to me. I made success happen. And that absolutely changed my life. I became a voracious reader and learner. After that, I became a goal setter after that, writing my goals down, clear mission statements, purpose statements. And then that has transformed my career and my life in more ways than I can even count. Excellent. Yeah, the, the personal ownership of one's fate is something that uh, as you get older, it kind of becomes a little more obvious. But if you get that earlier on in your life, it can make some serious differences to the trajectory of not only your career, but your personal self-development. Absolutely. So how about we jump into the kind of the normal stuff and a little background on your role at Snack Nation? Sure. So, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it really started with human. So Snack Nation came from human and human stood for helping unite mankind and nutrition. 
And so I oversaw the sales team for a human, which was healthy vending machines, healthy markets for schools, corporations, offices around the country. And we had this kind of crazy idea about maybe putting some snacks in a box and seeing if people would pay for that. (laughs) Because if we looked at, you know, if you look at trends, we saw 80, 90% of the inbound leads that came to our website were all smaller offices that were too small for vending machines or too small for markets, but were still, there was a need there. And so we decided to put snacks in a box and see if people will buy it. And not only did it work, it worked really, really well. And then they asked me to try to grow out that team. And I said, give me three reps in three months to see if we can make it repeatable. Because it doesn't matter if only I or uh, my coworker at the time, John Pinto, if we're the only ones that can sell it, it doesn't work. So it took three months to kind of put that process together and it worked and we have never looked back. And so that's you know kind of how it came to be. Well, and the growth has been pretty, I mean, pretty amazing. If I remember correctly, you said you went from 30 to 50 reps in something like 18 months. Yeah, I mean, we're just over 50 now and coming up on three years. So we have, I mean, zero to 50 and under three. And then, yeah, we went from 20 to 50 in almost 12 months. So it was a very, very fast scale. Excellent. So when you looked at that team, as you, you know, you had your first three reps, you proved that it was, you know, viable, that, that the, the market would respond. I'm curious when you start looking at those reps and started assessing, you know, how to scale it and grow it, what were the first things, where were the first places you looked in order to make it, you know, repeatable and scalable? Um, opportunity creation. So could we consistently create qualified opportunities and then looking at those conversion rates and figuring out, okay, what are the pain points that we are actually solving? What questions do we need to be asking to expose some of those gaps or pain points and what I believed to be a consistent and doable conversion rate metric? And we were able to figure that out over three months in terms of what to expect. And then every decision we've made since then is about how to maintain that. Because the AEs used to be full cycle and it was you know 80% outbound sales. We then introduced SDRs after about a year and a half, brought revenue up even higher per rep. And now our inbound channel has started to catch up to the outbound. So now we're actually doing just as much inbound revenue as we are outbound. Whereas for the first two and a half years, it was like 70, 30 outbound to inbound. So it continues to evolve, but we pay attention to the pipeline creation and conversion rates across all of our verticals, all of our markets, all of our channels, and make all decisions around trying to keep those where we want them to be. And so when you look at creating the structure that you can plug, say, you know, SDRs or reps into, that's create, you know, that's step one. How do you, how do you figure that out? How do you structure it? But when you bring reps in, I mean, you've been pretty um, prolific on LinkedIn about, you know, onboarding reps and how that works. And I think it was a red notebook or, or file folder that they carry around, right? So everybody knows that they're yep. doing. I think it was ingenious. And so I'm kind of curious when, when you bring on those, that many new reps, what kind of things do you find in the reps from a skill set standpoint that you have to focus on? In terms of skill set development or characteristics I look for in a rep? Oh, let's do, let's do both. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go characteristics first. Characteristics, top four I look for in all reps, grit, self-awareness, adaptability, and curiosity. Okay. Those are my top four. And because I believe they have those four, the skill sets that I want to teach them it works because I want to teach them to ask great questions. If you're a curious person, You naturally ask more and better questions. That's why it's a quality I look for. Prospecting is not easy. 
It is hard. <laughs> right. That's why they need to be gritty. And that's, I mean, and notice, and I tell this to people, I did not say anything about hard work in the characteristics of the people I look for, because I think hard work is very easy to fake. I don't think most people understand what it really means. That's why I use grit. Tell me about the times you worked hard when things were shitty. Right. Tell me about the times you worked hard when things weren't going well, you know, and talk about that grit. And so that falls into our prospecting. We're growing so fast that they need to be adaptable, not coachable. There's a big difference between adaptable and coachable. Coachable requires you to be coached. I have to tell you to change your behavior. Adaptable is you recognize what's happening and change your approach because of it. I need adaptable people because we're going to continue to change as we grow. And that all funnels into self-awareness. What's working? What's not? Where is my performance? What am I good at? What am I bad at? So the reps can actually control some of their own destiny in terms of they should be coming to me saying, Kevin, I am struggling at the coaching section of my calls and I would like help getting better at it. And so it all funnels from those characteristics for me. And so when you look at structuring the team, you mentioned, you know, going from just the three reps to SDRs and it used to be full cycle AE sales. How did you decide on that structure? You know, why was it a focus point for you? Because some of the most important metrics I track started to slip. So the first year, you know, it, it's a blue ocean for us. Right. We, I mean, we can just go after anybody, everybody. We didn't technically even have to be that good. <laughs> but, you know, we were good, but we, we didn't have to be, right? You could go after anyone. And so that was fine. After about a year and a half, one of the first metrics I talked about, opportunity creation, really started to slide on the AE side. It wasn't as easy to prospect anymore, right? We couldn't just load up big lists and go. And so when the opportunity creation starts to slide, so then of course does revenue and conversion rate start to slide because people started getting looser with their qualification, you know, process because they just wanted to hit their op numbers. So looking at that, we said, all right, if we can introduce SDRs in and that it still makes financial sense. So even once we put SDRs into the world, my AE still had to prospect. They just didn't have to prospect as much. And so then we were able to add in the SDR role, replace the pipeline that we were losing, and then also increase the amount of revenue we were getting per AE to make sure that that cost made sense. So you said something really interesting there. I want to, I want to go back to that, that even though there were SDRs, uh, the AEs still had to prospect. I was, uh, I did a webinar yesterday on, on prospecting. I actually gave you a shout out, uh, as an example of phenomenal emails and sent a whole bunch of people to your LinkedIn profile awesome. for those emails that you guys publish out there. I'm curious, do you work with the AEs and the SDRs on different types of prospecting or are they both using the same approach? I mean, how does that differ? Maybe it's just a volume level. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, it's more volume level and targeting. So yes, the approach and the training and the process are the same, but my AEs, and now as they've been doing more inbound, the AEs are doing less and less prospecting. But like for most of last year, the AEs were targeting larger companies to prospect. Because if, you, if you're going to make 20 opportunities for yourself in a month, they'll make them small. So they were going after some of the larger, not even larger, just like not the small companies, the SDRs, you know, hit the whole gamut across the board. Okay, excellent. And so are they both enabled with the same technology stack? I mean, I'd be curious to know kind of what that stack looks like and what you found to be most effective. Yes, they, they are. They both have like, you know, we have our entire prospecting system in outreach. We've used outreach and sales loft and we have and have 
cadences for everything. Personas, what their pain points are, missed follow-up call. I mean, we have a sequence for everything. So if you're going after a larger company that you know has snacks already, there's a sequence for that. If you don't know they have snacks, there's a sequence for that. If it was an old inbound lead and we're retargeting, there's a sequence for that. So the whole the whole process is there to be followed. Then it's on the reps to determine who they're plugging into those different processes and running with it. And how so often, that, yeah. How often do you go back and look at like the effectiveness of particular elements of the cadence? So you know, maybe it's call scripts, maybe it's the email content that's going out. Do you have a process for kind of that constant evolution and agility of those cadences? Yes. So it used to be monthly. And then we would split test. I would split test a new email for almost every step, almost every single month. Can I beat an open rate by half a percent? Can I increase response rate by 10% and see if we can beat it? We've even run contests with the reps, you know, called like beat the mean. Like, so if the rep wants to rewrite an email, it, it has to beat mine. If it's not, if it's not going to beat mine, no, you can't have it in the sequence. It doesn't matter. <laughs> So, but like, we'll put those things out there for people. And so, yes. And then it got to a point where we were seeing almost no improvements in certain areas. And so it moved to like a bi-monthly review of like, okay, if it's maintaining where it's at right now, that's okay. And then looking to like squeeze things out. But a good example we had, this was two and a half, yeah, two and a half months ago, like emails number like five and six in our sequence had very low response rates. Now, I don't expect high response rates at that point in time, but they were very low, like in the one and a half to 2% range. I just hadn't paid a lot of attention to them because you know the earlier emails are where the most of the action happened. Right. Took a couple of days, put out some rewrites and split tested them and doubled up response rates in a week. You know, So taking them from like you know three to six and two to four, I know exactly what that means now, dollars and cents for the company, and we just continue to refine it. Excellent. Excellent. And is it, you know, one of the things that I, again, it sounds like I probably am stalking you on LinkedIn, but your stuff shows up and it, and it resonates so much. I saw you did a day, um, a call day where the picture at least was the reps standing up at their desks. And when we work with clients, that's one of the first things we try and tell people is like your physicality matters, right? Your, your attitude, smile, stand up, be active, be in your body and be present. I'm kind of curious, did you just figure that out or how did you how did you come across kind of your best practices for getting people over their fear of the phone well i guess those are very different questions <laughs> i agree with your body you know physicality matters but i believe it's it's comfort matters there are people that absolutely are looser on the phones when they're sitting and leaning back and then there are people that sound less lackadaisical when they're sitting and leaning back so they need to stand so it's more so like what body position allows you as a person to bring the best side of you out. I'm a spaz, right? I got to stand. My, <laughs> my, my, my hands are moving. I'm all over the place. I'm probably like swinging something like I'm all over the place. Some of my other reps, like they are much more comfortable in themselves when they're in their chair, leaning back, hands are still up and moving, but they're not standing because when they stand, they get tense and they lean over things. So I'm more so about finding what works best for you, but I do believe the physicality is there. Now on how to get people over their fear of the phones. <laughs> um, one, I mean, I address that in the hiring process. Like I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to figure out like if you have that fear already and in a little bit, almost like try to scare you out of it. 
like you, you don't have a choice if you're not going to make your, <laughs> like, if you're not going to make your dials here, this just isn't the place for you, period. Right. You know, so I get, I get ahead of it there. But then I firmly believe that fear comes from a lack of knowledge and confidence. If you know what you're supposed to do, there's nothing to be afraid of. And I think so many just salespeople in general don't really know what they're supposed to do or the scripts that they're given don't really work. Like it's a, it's a script, but it, it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work. And so now they're forced to do something that either they know doesn't work, but they don't have a better solution. So now they live in a state of fear all the time of picking up that phone. So that's why we do so much training and so much like education and knowledge based stuff here is if you know what to do, and you know what objections you're going to run into and you know how to handle them. There's nothing to be afraid of. And if you are still afraid of it, then you just shouldn't be in sales. And that's okay. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay. Like, I'm not trying to bash people. It's just like, if you still have that fear and you still have it, that's just not the right role for you. And that's all right. And I'll try to either find something better for you or, you know, we help, you know, find what a better career path would be. So I believe fear is trumped by confidence and training. I really do. Yeah, that it's an important point. It's and it's interesting, right? Snack Nation's grown so fast, uh, and you guys have have a, a very focus on sales enablement, on training, getting those reps to be as effective and as as powerful as they can be. It's something that you don't see as in in as many organizations as you would expect. At least, I mean, that, I, honestly, it's what keeps me employed. But I'm kind of curious where that came from for Snack Nation. Why the focus from day one was it just part of the culture, or was it you know something that you, everybody knew? was necessary? I mean, I think a lot of that, I'm just, I'm trying to think how to say this without sounding like really, I guess, really egotistical, but I can't <laughs> find a way around it. Like it's something it, that it was like education is very important to me just as an individual. And so I believe my own development is so important. So that passes down Sean Kelly, Andy Mackinson, Ryan Schneider, like our C-suite, they are all very, very into self-development and it just trickles down, you know? So it wasn't, it, it wasn't ever really a choice, you know, it was just who we were as individuals and we just took it from there. So you go to, you talk to any leader at this company, any leader at this company, if they are VP level, they are all obsessive on their own personal development. And then it just trickles down to their teams because it's not just the sales team, our member success team, Chelsea, same way, books on our desks, reviewing things with their teams, weekly trainings, they do it there marketing, Andy Mackinson, taking his team to conferences. Like it's just an obsessive culture we have here. And we just were lucky enough to find enough people like us to put it all together. Excellent. Excellent. And so when you look back over your time at Snack Nation uh, and everything you've accomplished, what are you the, what are you the proudest of? What do you feel had the most significant impact? I would say, I'll actually, can, I'll, I'll tell a story here. One of the proudest moments I have to date. It was, I think, August or September of last year. And I mean, we, like, especially like all of last year, I mean, we hit goal. That's what we do. And normally we hit goal two to three days before the end of the month. So every extra is just padding. We've rang that gong. That's just how we got down. And it was September and it was the last day of the month. And it was like three o'clock and we were still like 6K short of our goal. And, you know, the team's starting to get a little bit nervous around this. <laughs> and one of our reps, like Jenny, 
brings in a 2K deal. Then Jordan pops another 2K deal. We got 4K in. It's like 445. And Chrissy Steele brings in like a $3,000 deal with 15 minutes left in the day to take us over goal. Now, the I'm, if you can see, I'm getting goosebumps telling this story <laughs> because of like what happened when she brought in that deal. She got mobbed. Like the entire, the, the entire AE team goes and tackles her. People are like yelling and screaming and hugging. And the thing is, Chad, no one on that sales team made a dime more for us hitting goal. Nothing. There was no incentive there. There was no, you get a bonus check. Like there were people that are already 120% of goal calling other people's old lost opportunities. Like that, that moment will stick with me for so long because I, I was proud of the culture we created that, that they cared about the team and they cared about that number more than the individual that, that to me will always be one of my proudest moments. And I guess it's not even my moment technically, right? I just, <laughs> I just got to, I got to watch it happen. And that, that to me will always be a, a highlight of my career here. That's a great story. I mean, I joked yesterday with somebody that, you know, friends don't let friends prospect alone, right? Because there's power in doing it in a team environment and celebrating that stuff with, you know, each other, the wins, the losses, the, you know, we joke with, uh, with one client, you know, they have a board where they write up the best objection somebody got for the day. You know, maybe it's where they were told to go and how to get there, but you know, whatever it is, you want to celebrate those and, and come together as a team. That's a very powerful, uh, setup. So I'm glad to hear that it's, it's working well for you guys. Absolutely. So when, um, let's talk a little bit about forecast accuracy. You got a lot of movement, a lot of calls. I'm curious, is the tool stack or your process more um, to credit for forecast accuracy? Or is that something that uh, maybe is not a problem? Maybe you've already figured out and dialed that in. I just keep hearing that a lot from other clients. Oh, man, if you know someone that has AE forecasting down to a science, <laughs> you let me know. What I guess what I've gotten down to a science is the discount I apply to people's forecasts. <laughs> They're sandbagging. I, I, it, it's actually, it, it's not a sandbag. It's happy ears, right? Yeah. Kevin, I got 10K closing tomorrow. Okay, so let's talk about the $6,000 that's actually coming in. Where is it coming in from? Right. So we do have technology, right? Like we use Salesforce. There are certain fields and stages that need to be applied. We use things like Insight Squared also that does some very cool things around forecasting. At the end of the day, the number one, the number one thing that we found to determine forecast accuracy is call quality. How well did that actual pitch and recommendation call go? Because no technology trumps a bad pitch call. Period. And so that's why we do the call scoring. That's why the managers we have, we really push the AE managers to be on the front end of deals, not the end of the deals. I know everyone has different sales processes, but for our sale, there's nothing you can do at the end. Right. The, a manager can't step in on the last closing call to help close that deal. The decision's already been made. It's the pitch call. It's the recommendation call. That's where they need to get involved. So we actually have reporting that shows all the large opportunities that got created in a day so that the managers can get the reps ready for the pitch call. Once it's in the pipeline, Chad, like it's, it's done. It's in the pipeline. Right. There's, there's very little that's actually going to occur at that point that's going to make or break that deal. It's all about what happens on the front end. So that's what affects our forecasting 
And so then we have reps, like they have a weekly commit that they put in. And then the question is always, well, why? Why is this on here? Why do you believe it's going to close? And why do you believe it's going to close for that amount? And why is this person going to buy? And so we've gotten forecasting, you know, into that way. But then, of course, I still apply a little bit of a discount because salespeople are optimistic, which is cool. <laughs> like, it's cool. But, you know, that's, you know, that's where we're at now. And so when you look at kind of Snack Nation and your, your, the biggest target for you guys right now, is it more revenue, top line revenue generation? Is it market share acquisition? What's the biggest challenge for Snack Nation as a whole? Man, I guess it's obviously it's new acquisition, right? It's new acquisition, but of course, then we have to keep those customers, you know? So we have like, you know, member success, like keeping those customers long-term. So it's, it's a combination of both, you know, it's getting new customers and then making sure new customers stick. Right now we are, we are way ahead of the game in terms of like competitors doing what we do. And because we built this team and this company predominantly on the outbound side to begin, we will be very hard to catch because if I know a lot of companies focus inbound first, which is fine, but marketing is relatively easy to rip off. Like if I can copy your website today, there are apps for that. So I can copy your website. I can find out what keywords you use. And as long as I'm willing to spend more per keyword, I can beat you. I can go hire people to write bad blog content, but blog content to get my SE. Like you can rip someone's marketing off relatively sure. easily. You can't rip off a sales team. You, you can't, you can't, the amount of mistakes we've made over the past three years, you're going to have to make all those same mistakes on the sales side. So market share is important, but like right now it's just, fine-tuning our process and continuing to hire the right people and putting them into that process to continue to scale this company. And that's a really interesting perspective. I was, I was just talking to Brian Burns about, you know, kind of what does the future of the sales teams look like uh, and the power and, and how you differentiate, how you use your sales team as a differentiator. It sounds like for Snack Nation, that sales team is, is a huge business differentiator, at least in staying ahead of anybody that wants to come to market after you. Yeah, it, it has to be. And we, we've talked about this internally. Our product is snacks. Our product is not a differentiator. I was speaking on this up at the Topo Summit in San Francisco. I was presenting on like scaling a team and like the a bottoms up approach. And you know, I said it to the crowds like some of you guys have game changing products, like truly game changing products. You just don't know how to sell it. <laughs> and that's not fair. <laughs> that's not it's not fair. Like I'm I, I'm selling snacks and <laughs> When, when people get into our system and into our process and actually into our sales training and see all the different things we have to do in order to be successful, it catches people off guards because like you think like snacks, like, oh, it's a simple product, so it should be easy to sell. And it's the complete opposite. It's such a simple product that it's actually hard to sell. We got to use every tool and tactic and idea to get to the marks that we're doing. And... I don't think enough people put enough focus on like that actual sales process. They think the product can do it for them. It's not. Your sales team has to be a differentiator. It absolutely has to be. Otherwise, you're you're leaving money on the table. Well, and, and not only that, but I mean, the ability to connect to uh, the people that you're selling to, right? That human-centered approach. Not. It's not just about, hey, I've got this you know, SaaS platform that does X, Y, and Z. You want to buy it? Or I got this new cool gadget you want to buy. It's really about being able to, at scale and with consistency, be authentic and connect with those people on a level that goes beyond features and, and 
benefits, right? And that's that's tough. I've seen a lot of companies struggle with being able to scale that. It seems like you guys have kind of cracked that code. I won't ask what the code is, but it, it sounds like you guys have cracked that code. I, I will give you the code. I will give you the code. Because it, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Because to execute the code is a lot harder. <laughs> it's, it's being bad salespeople and great communicators. Stop being a salesperson and be a great communicator. Be a real person. You call someone and they're just being a dick, right? <laughs> like you call them and they're just sorry for for my language. I don't, I don't know. I guess. Oh what no, the audience good. Oh, trust me, man. Okay. You are all good. Okay, just making sure, right? And like, you know, they answer the phone. It's like, hey, Kevin here. A great salesperson will just go like, hey, it's Kevin from Snag Nation. How's it going? A good communicator will go, whoa, what, what's going on over there? Are they taking care of you? Are they running you into the ground? That question of being a good person and a good communicator opens up so many doors because you stop trying to sell and you just worked on communicating. When you work on communicating, you understand it's a two-sided affair. Sales is one-sided. So that's what we focus on so much is how do we, how are we good communicators? How do we find out why people do what they do? Ask that extra question, but level with them as a person, all these personas, people I think have forgotten what a persona is. A persona is a representation of a person and people have feelings and emotions and fears and wants. That's the ticket. And that's how we do so much of our selling here is working with people as people. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, completely. I could not agree more. It's one of the one of the reasons that I have focused on the things I focused on is because at the end of the day, when I used to run sales organizations and hire guys, I always used to joke with with my uh, with the people in the hiring process, like I need to see your freak flag, like you need to be able to show me that you you've got some rough edges that you can connect with people. I don't need another blue shirt, khaki wearing BMW driving guy. I need somebody that can be real, even especially when we're selling big enterprise deals. You're going. To, you want to be able to get to a point where you can trust somebody. You have to trust the customer. Customer has to trust you. And the only way to do that is to be authentic and human. And a lot of the things that we see out there from a sales standpoint, they, I think they erode that sometimes. Just more focused on the numbers and the, you know, top of the revenue. Whereas if you just focused on being real people, the results speak for themselves. Yep, I agree. So let's change direction a little bit uh, here. I ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. Um, the first is simply you are a, a VP in a growing organization. That makes you, uh, for lack of a better word, a target for people uh -huh. that want to sell. So, um, I mean, we've obviously talked about, you know, you've got your guys cold calling and using outreach with email sequencing and, and things like that. But what is it that gets your attention, right? What is it if somebody wanted to get in front of you, what is it that would build their credibility with you? Tell me something about my company I already know. Meaning you should not target me first. Period. You need to talk to someone else on my team or at my company before you ever get in touch with me. That is my biggest piece of advice. And this is actually what I had presented on up at the Topo Summit was working more of a bottoms up approach. If you're trying to get in touch with me and you know nothing about my company, you know nothing about how your product would actually affect my company. Like when I get these prospecting emails that say, hey, we will 3x your SDR's production. Do you understand that my SDRs create 70 opportunities per month? So you're trying to tell me that you're going to do 200. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like you don't, you don't know what my team or my company does. That's how you get in touch with higher ranking people is you learn how your product will actually affect the bottom of their organization. And if someone shot me an email that said, I talked to your team, 
you think I'm going to open that email? <laughs> you bet. Yeah, you want to know what they said. And I'm going to open up that email. And it's like, I, I'm trying to think of a product. Shit, like, I'll, like an, a sales author, an outreach, right? I talked to your team and I found out that there's no structured process for your prospecting. Everyone's sending different emails. There's no structured follow-up process. And I think you might be losing money because of it. Sales off outreach. We help structure that process for you so you can actually scale faster, see what's working and what's not, and get the most out of your team. Do you have 10, 15 minutes to maybe dive in and see if this might be worth looking into? That's it. You know, and that that email would actually not only get my attention, but also get a response and almost guarantee a meeting because you're talking about how your product actually will affect my company. Do not tell me what your product's going to do for me when you don't know what I do. So that's my piece of advice. Excellent. Excellent advice. Okay. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. Doesn't have to be about sales or how to get a hold of you. Just in general, when you think about sales, marketing, professional services, people, experts in the field or people that are doing this day to day, if you had one piece of advice, uh, in addition to make sure you know the company, know, you know, who you're talking to, uh, what would it be and why? And, and we want it to be able to something that, you know, it's going to help them beat their targets, beat their numbers. What would be that one nugget, um, that we would say, Hey, this is, you know, the quote from Kevin. Um, I guess it's in line with what I would just say. If I could give one piece of advice to companies that are trying to grow and scale, it would be understand how your product actually affects the end user and use that information to win over the decision makers. Excellent. So, so yeah, I'm curious. So how do you, so how does that show up inside of Snack Nation when your guys, when your SDRs are reaching out? How do, how do you internalize that? We're talking to the office managers. We're talking to the executive assistants. Like I, we can talk to anybody, right? Like if I'm going after a company, yes, I want to talk to someone in finance or I want to talk to the executive assistant or eventually the CEO. I can talk to anybody in a company about snacks. <laughs> hey, true. you follow, right? Yeah. So if you have a product that does email, get in touch with anyone that sends email at that company. If it's with salespeople, salespeople are the easiest people to get in touch with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... You, you get in touch with them. Like that's, that's what I mean by that. And that's what we do here to start the conversation. We talk to whoever we can get in touch with because we can still establish pain points and gaps from that lower level individual. Then it helps us actually present something to the higher level individual that actually is true. Right? So I'm not hitting up someone and going, Hey, Snag Nation helps give you happier, healthier, and more productive employees. I can say, hey, we talked to a couple people. We found out you guys really aren't mixing up the snacks that much, and it might be getting a little bit boring. We thought this might be a cool thing to look into to maybe take that culture to another level. We got five, 10 minutes. That's how we internalize it, and it works, and it works great. And there's companies I've talked about and consulted to do it, and when they start doing it, it works, and it works great. Use everybody at a company to help you sell. Excellent. Excellent. Well, all right, everybody, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. Of course, if you are enjoying what we're putting out, please write us a review on iTunes. Kevin, if people want to talk to you further about some of the concepts you put out today, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Let's let's start with LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn, shoot me over a message, and I'm more than happy to to respond back. All right. Excellent. Well, again, I can't thank you enough for your time today. This has been great. Thank you so much, Chad. Excellent. Again, everyone, thank you for listening. Thanks to Kevin for these invaluable insights. And until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you and your teams nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. 
to ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.